0: Last week, we talked about Daniel, and uh, this week, I'm going to talk a little bit about how the Daniel wound up in Babylon, and then finally, what all that's got to do with us, praise the Lord, and uh, how, where that fits in with us here today. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I want to talk to you about Solomon for a moment, because it was in Solomon's kingdom, uh, the son of David, 1,000 B.C. is about when he lived. It was, that's when his kingdom was divided that affected a lot of things that followed after that. Israel was all united under David. And for 40 years, it was a united nation with all the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, in function, actually, Israel has 13 tribes. Uh, Joseph's tribe was divided into two, Ephraim and Manasseh. Because of his two sons, he had a double inher- a double inheritance, so where there was twelve sons, there was thirteen inheritance. You understand that i'm sure and uh, so anyhow these these tribes were all divided, and uh David was from the tribe of Judah, which was the largest of all the twelve tribes of Israel. I call them twelve. all the twelve tribes of Israel was Judah, and it was in the southern part, and Jerusalem was in that one particular inheritance part of, uh, of Israel and then David passed the mantle along to his son uh, Solomon and because Solomon feared God, loved God and wanted to serve God with all of his heart God blessed him enormously with, a, with unusual wisdom he had the w- wisdom from God I want to talk to you about that today he had this wisdom from God that God had given him and uh, he, he was so smart and so knowledgeable about life in general that kings and queens would come to visit him just to hear him what he had to say. He wrote the book of Proverbs in the Bible. Sometime if you just want to read something that will sort of get you thinking about life in general and all the uh, ebb and flows of it and everything, it's a very interesting book to read. Also the book of Ecclesiastes, he wrote that one as well. But in Solomon's later years, he failed the Lord. He failed God. And I'm going to show you why he did. I'm going to show you how he did. And that you and I, in our walk with God and our serving the Lord, we must be careful that we don't follow after the pattern of Solomon and the things that caused him to fail the Lord. Praise the Lord. A very little simple attitude he developed that caused him to fail God. And. So I want to read a verse of scripture to you because the Lord told Israel before they ever went into Canaan, one day you're going to want a king. And when you have a king, I'm going to choose the king. But here's what this king must always remember. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to the book of Deuteronomy 17 and verse 17. I'm going to read a couple of verses here to you. Uh, Deuteronomy 17. Let's read verse 14 first. 17, 14 of Deuteronomy, this is in the law books. This is when the children of Israel were yet in the wilderness. They had not come into Canaan's land. And Moses, before he ascended up up upon the mountaintop, died and the Lord took him away. Uh, And he was buried by the angels there. The Bible says that uh, he gave these instructions to the children of Israel. Verse 14, when thou art come into the land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee and shalt possess it, And shall dwell therein and shall say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. Uh, Then it goes on to say that you shall not choose a king. I will choose the king. You'll not choose a king out of other nations, but among your own brethren. I'm going to verse 16 to save time here. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to find to the end that he should multiply horses. He said, I don't want Solomon multiplying horses to himself. Uh, And then he goes on to say in that 16th verse, don't return to Egypt to the end that you might multiply horses for as much as the Lord has said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. This is in Deuteronomy now the Lord is telling them that. Look at verse 17, neither shall he, the king, Multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away; neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. Verse twenty: I'm jumping down here. That his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment. So, in all of Solomon's good qualities, and his good deeds, and his intelligence, and his brilliance that he had, and you have to remember that there there are uh, Two of the books in the Bible that he wrote, uh, three of them, Song of Solomon as well. He wrote Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. He wrote those three books that are recorded in the Bible. Now, here's what it says here. I'm going to read 1 Kings chapter 10. This is coming to the close of Solomon. I have a reason for telling you this. This is in 1 Kings 10, 28. And Solomon had horses brought out of Egypt. Exactly what God told him not to do. Exactly what the Lord told him not to do. He did it. And Solomon had horses brought out of Egypt and linen yarn. The king's merchants received the linen yarns and prizes and so forth. And he was to say he brought chariots out and all that kind of stuff. Finally, verse 11. But King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh. Not only did he bring horses out of Egypt, he brought a daughter of Pharaoh out of Egypt and married her. And she was a heathen princess. Okay. Uh, Let me read on a little bit further here in this 11th verse. It says here, but the king, seeing Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. These were all pagan wives that Moses, uh, I mean, pardon me, That Solomon married and took unto himself when the Lord says you were not to take any of these wives out of these pagan countries, you know. Now, let me tell you why he did that. I'll read on a little further here in just a moment. The reason Solomon married these princes is that their fathers, who were the kings of those nations and those people, would be Solomon's father-in-law and Solomon would be their son-in-law. So because of the relationship of father-in-law and son-in-law, they would always have peace. Boy, that's smart thinking, isn't it? Solomon didn't need 700 wives. He didn't need that many wives. I think all of us know that. But he married these princes so he could have peace with their fathers. And in all of Solomon's 40 years of reigning, he never had a war with anyone. He was so smart, he knew how to figure it all out. The only problem with his smartness is that it went against the word of God. Now, let me just say something here today folks. I don't care how smart we are. I don't care how much knowledge there may be on anything that's given in the world. Nothing surpasses the word of God. And if you and I as individuals can say, I'm going to stand on the word. I don't understand a lot of things, but I'm standing on the word. I believe the word. I'm going to live by the word. And if we will set our mind and hearts to always abide by the word of God and stay with the word, no matter what our intelligence may tell us or no matter what books of knowledge may tell us. And there's all kinds of stuff out there, right? You know? I don't know. I, I, I people hand me books sometimes to read, and I read sometimes and get to read and I get into it sometimes, and it all it starts refuting the Bible or refuting the Word of God someplace. And I said, no, that's not that's not where I am. That's not for me. I don't believe that. So I'm just telling you that to tell you this that as smart as this man was, he went because of his wisdom. He thought his wisdom was greater than the Word of God. And by doing what he did, he could keep peace. Here's what the Bible goes on to say here. I'm going to read this. This is 11th chapter of 1 Kings. And it goes on to say that he married the daughters of the Pharaoh, the Moabites, Ammonites, uh, Edomites, Zidonians, Hittites. Verse 2, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto him of Israel, ye shall not go in to them, neither shall they come in unto you. In other words, marry them. For surely they would turn away your heart after their gods, Solomon, clave unto these in love. All right. Verse 3. And he had 700 wives, princes, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. Maybe not to begin with, but later, as years went along. Oh, honey, Please. Oh honey, would you build a temple to my God? <laughs> oh please, would you let me build this place up in the woods, up in the top of the mountain? They have the what they call the gods of the groves. Would you let me build this and do that? No, 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 no. Oh, Okay, <laughs> you know, all right. This is how it all happened. All, you had one, then another, and another, and everything. Finally, he started, started giving in to them, and his wives turned away his heart. Verse four. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord, his God, as was the heart of David, his father. Now, I'm just pointing all that out to you because Solomon, because of that, he lost his kingdom because the Lord said, because you have failed me at the end, I'll not divide the kingdom of Israel under you, but I will under your son. His son's name was Rehoboam and he had a servant. Solomon had a servant named Jeroboam. And when Solomon died, Jeroboam rebelled against the overtaking of the kingdom by Rehoboam, who was a rightful heir to Israel. And he took the 10 Northern tribes and separated and divided the kingdom. Just like God told Solomon, it was going to happen through Nathan the prophet. Now I'm going to show you a picture here. Uh, this light has not turned blue so I don't know how to do this brethren I have so many overheads to show you and this I can't get nothing going here I'm sorry Matt this light is just as red as it was a while ago and I don't know what the answer I don't know how to set this thing all up still red now it's flashing what's that mean it means it's going to explode. <laughs> be, we, ought to take off. <laughs> we ought to go in the back rooms. <laughs> Praise God! It's, I can hit this thing until it turns blue. It's not going to do anything. They have anybody know anything about this stuff? Anybody out there know anything about these machines? Man, my whole Bible lesson is based on overheads today. There oh, there it is. Thank you. Look at that. All right. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> Give Matt Mason a hand clap. Whoops. There we go. Now let's see here if I can get the power on. I got to get. Oh, there it is. All right. <laughs> well, we're going to be in business here. Now let me back off just slightly. Slightly. Okay. I won't. All right. This uh, is a map here of Israel. And uh, these are those, those 12 tribes here. This is Judah, this is Reuben, Dan, Ephraim, Manasseh, Benjamin, and it goes on here. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. And when Solomon died, his kingdom was divided like this. Benjamin went with Judah's side here because Benjamin's right next to Jerusalem. This is where Jerusalem, where my pen is pointing. You can't read it, but that's where it is right here. And that's where the temple is that Solomon built, was located there. And because of that, this southern kingdom here stayed loyal to Solomon's son, who was Rehoboam. And then the others followed Jeroboam, and these other tribes up here all separated themselves, and they became the ten tribes. And so they became sister nations, side by side. Sometimes one of them would go to war with an enemy, and the other one would come over there and help him. Another time, the other one would have a little bit of problem with, let's say, Judah with Egypt and Israel come down to help them. But in times went along, sometimes they were scuffling between themselves. Or if Syria come against Israel, Judah helped Syria rather than help Israel. And so they became two different nations whatsoever. And as time went along, they became more wicked and filled with idolatry. This Northern kingdom here had no temple. And so, Jeroboam, their first king, said, Hey, you don't need a temple. We'll build our own temple in Samaria, which is right here. We'll build a temple for you, and everybody can just come there and forget about the temple in Jerusalem. He built, you know, golden calf and all this kind of stuff, and they became idolaters. And from one king after another, after another, after another, for several, for a few hundred years, this northern king never had a good righteous king never did and they became worse and worse as time went along the southern kingdom here would have a good king about every five kings and then the other four would be bad 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 then they'd have a good one that would try to straighten it all out get them back on track get them serving god again and so forth and so the southern kingdom was able to rock along a little longer but as they grew worse and worse, the Lord says, I'm going to judge you because you're living in sin, you're walking in God, and you're worshiping the heathens. You worship the abominations, he called them, of these different tribes. Paganism. Paganism is an affront to God, folks. Idol worship is an affront to God. God made everything. And to say that little idol here represents some other god that he is so, you know, can't see him, so here's an idol that represents him, we will worship the idol because we don't see the, the real, that other God, is an affront to God. It's an abomination, as the Bible talks about it. So these nations then became abominable in that sense of the word, or these, these tribes within these two nations. And so finally, in 721, in 721 BC, I'm going to show you another map here, the country of Assyria came down. And conquered the northern kingdom. This is the map here of the Middle East, if I can show it that way. This is Palestine here, the Sea of Galilee, and the Dead Sea and the Jordan River right in here. This is Jerusalem, where I have the arrow pointed. Over here was Nineveh, which is a capital city of Assyria. This is Mesopotamia area right in here. This river right here is is the Tigris River. And this is the Euphrates River, very famous uh, in the Bible language and so forth. Right here where this airport says Babylon, this was the capital city of Assyria. And in 721 BC, Assyria came down over here and conquered the northern kingdom and could not conquer the southern kingdom because God, because of Jeremiah and they had a good king at the time, he spared them. He said, I'll not let you be conquered. And Jeremiah told the king, God is going to spare us because of our righteousness right now. So it went on. But time rocked along. They became worse and worse. Now, whenever this northern kingdom conquered the northern, the northern kingdom, when Nineveh conquered them, they took the Jewish people and took them out and scattered them all over these different places, just, just relocated them. So they would not have the strength that they had before as being Jewish people over here in Israel. Then he took some of these Gentile people from these other tribes and nations and over here and put them here in Palestine. And they mixed together and they became known what we know today as Samaritans. In the New Testament, the Samaritans were a people, half Jews, half Gentiles, that the Jews just simply wouldn't have any dealings with because they gave the Jews a hard time later on in history. Now, the southern kingdom called Judah, northern kingdom was still called Israel, southern kingdom called Judah, because that's where the word Jew comes from. Judah survived longer. The first one was conquered in 721. Then 606 BC, this is all BC now, In 606 BC, the Babylonians who in the meantime had conquered Nineveh and the Assyrians now was ruling the world. They came over here and they conquered Jerusalem. They captured them and conquered them. 606 BC and said, look, we're not gonna tear up nothing. We're not gonna destroy anything. You pay your taxes to us, pay your money to us and we'll leave you alone. They took the the king that was the king. They took him off the throne. They put his brother on the throne. He said, you obey us, follow us, no problem. You won't have no troubles. That's what happened. So they did take 10,000 of the choice young people from Israel back to Babylon. And the guy's name that was the king of Babylon was called Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was the first Gentile power that had complete reign over all of Canaan and all of Israel. And whenever he did, he took Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, what we call the three Hebrew children. Ezekiel was one of those people that was taken. Uh, Mordecai, the uncle of Esther, was one of them taken captive. They were taken over there and they were brought over here to this land of Babylon. And that's where they spent the rest of their lives over there. Now, Daniel, when he went over there, was just a young guy. We don't know how old he was. He could have been 15, 16 17, 18 years old. So were the three Hebrew children of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We call them children because they're the children of Israel. But they were teenage young people who were brought over there. And the idea about Nebuchadnezzar was he was going to train these brilliant young people to become his servants. And pretty much that's what he had. However, now listen to me closely. Daniel... Who was of the royal lineage, direct descendant of David, and so was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were all direct descendants. They were put in the king's courts, and whenever they were put there, Daniel, praise the Lord, uh, was uh, had a he he knew about dreams, or God had used him in that. So King Nebuchadnezzar, in his very first year as king, when he had done all of this, now had set this all up and had brought these young people back over to Babylon. He had a dream, had a dream. Now, this is where this starts affecting us. This is why I'm talking to you about it because I'm gonna tie some things together here for us today. He had a dream and he saw this image. He didn't see all of this over here. He just saw the image that you're looking at in the middle. He saw an image that had a head of gold, a chest of silver, uh, had belly and thighs of brass and legs of iron and feet of iron and clay. This is what he saw. And so whenever he saw it, he called the wise men together. And he said, tell me the interpretation of my dream. They said, you tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. No, he says, you tell me the dream and I'll know you've got the right interpretation. They said, we can't do that. Nobody can do that. He said, you better do it or off comes your head. That's what your wise men, that's what you're in the court for. Everything. Word came to Daniel about it and Daniel told Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he said, you guys with me, let's pray and ask God to give us the interpretation so we don't get caught up in the middle of all this stuff with these other wise men. He's trying to make wise men out of it and so forth. So sure enough, the Lord gave Daniel the dream. He saw it and gave him the interpretation of it. And so Daniel said, go tell the king I got the interpretation. Now, here's a 17-year-old, I'm just going to use the word, the, the age 17. 17-year-old young man says, I got the answer, king. Oh, you do? Oh, yeah. Okay, send that guy and that kid in. He brought in and here's this little little Jewish boy that comes in here before this mighty king, you know, that's, the, that's, that's conquering the whole world at that time. And so he says, uh, I understand, you uh, you, know how to inter- you can give me the interpretation. Yeah. So then Daniel proceeds. The second chapter of Daniel is all about this uh, Daniel giving this king his, his, his dream and what he dreamed. Now, here's what the king dreamed. He saw this image all down, down to the feet and the toes. And then he said, a stone was cut out of a mountain without hands. And smote the image on the feet and the whole image shattered, came all apart and fell all to pieces and the wind came and blew it all away. And it was no more. And that little stone became a great mountain and filled all the earth. Now, you said, that's what you dreamed, old king. King says, you're right. Now I'm going to tell you the interpretation of it. The interpretation is that these are empires that will rise and fall. You are the head of gold. You're the first empire. You're Babylon. After you is going to be another empire. Inferior in silver compared to gold. Inferior to you. Falling that's going to be another empire. Inferior even to this one. It's going to rise and fall. Finally there's going to be an empire. That will be hard as iron. It's going to be a tough mean empire. Be long lasting. And in the end of that empire. It's going to be made of. Not iron, but iron and clay, which is even a less expensive material if I use it than when you start out with gold. And then that stone's going to hit. And he said, what this means is that these are going to be Gentile empires that will rule and reign until the Lord says it's all over with. And then he is going to smite this whole Gentile empire, a series of empires together. And then he is going to fill all the earth with righteousness and God is going to rule the world. Now, that's what he told him. So what he actually did was to show him this would take you down through all of this period of time to Armageddon, what we know of today as Armageddon. And Jesus would come and smite this. That's all in the 19th chapter of Revelation. It's also mentioned in, 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 uh, in Zechariah 14 and, and a lot of other places in the Bible it's mentioned as well. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because this is what Daniel saw and understood And Daniel knew from that point on that there is going to be a Gentile nation's period of time. This was called the time of the Gentiles. And it started with Nebuchadnezzar because Israel would never be independent of Gentile powers ever again until it was all over with. And to this day, they have not been independent. They were always dependent on Babylon until there was the media Persian empire. Then they were dependent on the Persian empire. Saurus helped them to go back and rebuild their temple, Even in fact, in, uh, in, in 530, uh, 536 it was. And uh, then finally the Grecian empire led by Alexander the Great came. And then the Roman empire, we're all familiar with that. Right on down until, and there's been one uh, empire over Europe, Europe, uh, European leaders brought on down. Right on down through time, we won't try to name them, but anyhow on down. And now we are down here to the very bottom. And this is where that Armageddon happens and also where the Antichrist rises in the last three and a half years of this period of time. And then God will come and destroy him. And I won't get into all of that because that's all in prophecy that we're going to be looking at a little later. What I do want to talk to you about here is that Daniel was not the only prophet that was taken over into Babylon in captivity. Also, there was Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Now, I want to talk to you about Ezekiel a little bit and uh, just show you some things here that I think is important to us. Let me just make one other reference here. This is one I've made before uh, in uh, in uh, in Luke twenty one twenty four. Luke twenty one twenty four. It gives us a verse of scripture where Jesus mentions about this era of time that we are in. Starting with that, with this uh, head of gold going down to the feet here, as being the time of the Gentiles, and they shall fall by the edge of speaking of Israel falling by the edge of the sword when it would happen again to them in 70 A.D., which it did by the Romans. You you know this, you know that one. And as Josephus, the book of Josephus is in detail about this war. They shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Israel was that's why. That they're in all the nations to this day. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles. And they have been. Until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And that's what this is all about here. All right. Uh, Also in in, uh, the book of Romans chapter 11 verse 25. Paul mentions it. Paul mentions it because Jesus had mentioned it earlier. And they both understood that this was that time. That Daniel interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar. And this is Romans eleven twenty four. I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, the mystery of how that God is still the people of the Jews, but they are not his people presently. They are on the back burner, if I can call them that. But he hasn't left them and hasn't forgotten them. Lest ye should be wise in your own conceits that blindness and part has happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So the fullness of the Gentiles, when Gentile powers rule the world, and that's the way it is today. Israel is not ruling the world. Israel doesn't rule anything, but Gentile powers, there's one power, there's another. And right now, America is the strongest nation on the face of the earth. As far as I know, I don't know. You know I mean, that, that's what we understand. It's a powerful nation. I know that. There was a time that I think England was the most powerful nation. There was a time I thought, I think France was the most powerful nation. You know what I'm talking about. All these kind of things has happened, you know, from time to time to time over the hundreds of years. But I am pointing out to you here that we're coming down here toward the end. And by studying that second chapter, there's a lot to learn there about God setting up his kingdom on this earth whenever he would come and so forth. And we won't go into the details on it. But I do want to talk to you, praise the Lord, about this other prophet. And that's the one called Ezekiel. Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was called the country prophet. That's sort of like, yeah, and he was out in the country. So while Daniel was in the king's palace and getting visions from God and understanding things, and Daniel never had any more visions. This is the only thing he had for 40 years. And after 40 years, God began to give Daniel some more visions. He had a vision again in the seventh chapter and again in the eighth chapter. And then uh, again in the ninth chapter, whenever he was praying or he had a visitation from Gabriel, the angel. And Gabriel talked to him for a long time so forth. A lot of these things happened. So Daniel had his time and things that God was showing him that was going to come to pass that would affect Israel. And that it would also be a time for the Gentiles. Now the Gentiles, it was a, a time when they would rule the world. But it would also become a time when the Gentiles could be saved. Praise the Lord. And that's why when Jesus was rejected by Israel, whenever he came to this world, zero date, we call it. And then A.D., you know, Jesus, I think, was crucified around 30 A.D. And then from there on, the church went out and began to preach the gospel and so forth. And the gospel is still being preached in all the world. You should go. you All the world preach the gospel. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. That's what missionary work is all about. We're still in that period of time. And we are Gentiles and we're from all kinds of tribes and nations and people and backgrounds. Praise the Lord. And this church here is a multicultural church and thank God for it. And I hope it never, I don't, I say, I hope it never changes. I, I don't think it will ever change and we don't need to ever change because the church is a multicultural church. Praise the Lord and thank God for it. And it's our hour folks. It is our hour. Our, hour that sounds good, doesn't it? Praise the Lord. And so I want you to know here today that God is so good to us. And I often pray this and I pray it with tears in my eyes. Lord, how was it that my family and my kin people and my relatives and my grandparents, how was it that they ever had the right to hear the gospel? You know, an old country preacher came our way and preached the gospel. I heard a little boy five years old and. I remember some of these things way back there in my mind <clears throat> and going to this Sunday school and pulling a, a sheet across dividing the platform from the audience and up there on the platform, they had children's church and down the audience there, they had to teach it Bible studies for Sunday school, simple. And now today praise the Lord, that church of Pensacola is a great marvelous church. There's churches all over Florida that sprung off on that. You know, I came out of a little old church like that, you know, and, And here we are today, a a fine, one of the finest churches in the state of Florida. I'm just pointing out to you, what right do we have to all of this? Praise the one right. We don't have any right. right. It is God's grace and it is his goodness and it is his love and it's his mercy. And that's why when we come together, we need to just praise the Lord and we need to thank God. And we say, God, we are nothing, but you're everything. And Lord, whatever your word says, I believe it because God's word is solid and God's word is sure and it will never fail you or me. Amen. You can stand on it individually. We can stand on it collectively. Hallelujah. And I don't care what comes to pass and how bad things may look one way or the other. Just stay with the word and say, Lord, you're faithful to the word because you've already spelled it all out and you've laid it out. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, I want to move into this uh, simple thought here this morning. Not thought. I'm going to continue on here about the other prophet, the country prophet. And uh, that was, his name was Ezekiel. And uh, Ezekiel was, uh, he lived out in the country. He was of the priesthood. Now, this is interesting. While Daniel was of the royal lineage Ezekiel was of the priesthood, which meant that his father was a priest or one may perhaps even the high priest of Israel when they were taken captive. So when God gave these visions, he gave one to that one that would be over the kingship and the other over the priesthood. One sort of looked after the the secular lives of people. The other one looked after the spiritual lives of the people of Israel when they were in Canaan's land. There were things that the priests knew about god about the temple about uh, about the altars the uh, the sacrifices the worship and so forth that many of the others did not know or did not keep up with or even care to keep up with but they knew it because they knew it in detail that was their life they were the sons of Aaron this is where Ezekiel was and Ezekiel had a dream I want you to go to the book of Ezekiel for in the first chapter and let me just talk to you for a moment about Ezekiel uh, one here If you go to Ezekiel 1, I'm not going to read verses here in Ezekiel because uh, it's too much reading. I'm not going to try to get into that. But in the first chapter of Ezekiel, Ezekiel had a vision. He talks about it. It was about 599. Now, 606 B.C. is whenever they were taken captive. And so this had to be about seven years later, about 599 B.C. Ezekiel had this vision that's found in the book of Ezekiel. (coughs) <coughs> he saw these living creatures and he saw all these cherubims and he describes them and is not so important as how they were described only that they were described, And it's called the Merkava that's the Jewish word for what he saw is called in the Hebrew is called Merkava Merkava means fiery chariot or it means uh, it means a divine throne. And uh, it was just seen the wheel in the middle of the wheel and these. These these cherubims running back and forth and fire and the throne and and all of that, it was everything. It was amazing to him that he saw it. This word makaba, incidentally, the Jewish people today have a tank. They buy it from America, they remodel it and restructure it to suit them. They do uh, their 16s that way as well. The Israel, they make them more powerful, they put more stuff on them, and uh, they, they are fierce. And we were over in Israel here several years ago, and we were, we were riding along. And this, our guide said that he was a, he was a colonel in the uh, Air Force, uh, the Israeli Air Force. He was our guide. And we were riding along, and he pointed out to the tanks. They had doing some maneuvers. He said, those but tanks, blah, blah, blah. And I said to him, are those of the Makabas? Yes. He said, they are. That's right. Exactly. He was, I guess, surprised I knew what that was. And I said, I understand they have a lot of firepower. Oh, he said, you would not believe that tank. He said, it can shoot, it can shoot machine guns, cannons, flamethrowers. I mean, it's got more power on that tank. Little old tank out there running around and so forth. Anyhow, that's where they get the name from this thing, from Ezekiel here in chapter one, whenever he saw this thing. And then the Lord starts talking to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, I'm going to talk to you about some things. You're seeing the presence and the power of God up here in Babylon. This is not where the presence of God belongs. The presence of God is supposed to be in Jerusalem. It's supposed to be in the temple. It's it's where it's where the Ark of the Covenant is and the cherubism. This is where God's presence is supposed to be on the face of the earth. Basically, I know God is everywhere, but I'm talking about where he makes his presence made known. And it's supposed to be in the temple. And when men want to get a word from God, they go to the temple and this is what he knew. But he's over here in Babylon and he's by a river, you know, that's that's called Chibar. And he's by this little old river by Chibar, which runs along close to the the Euphrates River. And and he sees this, he sees all this presence of God. There's even a rainbow over the throne, which is God's sign that I keep my covenants, incidentally. Every time they have a vision, there's always a rainbow there. The Lord's saying, I always keep my covenant. So anyhow, he, he saw all of this. And he said, this is not the place where it's supposed to be. I mean, why is it over here in Babylon? You know, and he was, he was a little bit confused about it. And so uh, now the Lord speaks to him and talks to him like way. Over here in chapter five of Ezekiel, I'm going to do this very quickly now. Chapter five, verse 11, he says, Wherefore, as I live, saith the Lord God, surely because thou hast defiled my sanctuary with all thy detestable things and with all thine abominations, therefore will I also diminish thee? And so he starts talking to him about what he's to tell Israel because of what they've done, I'm going to take away the things that you've got. And then finally, I'm jumping over to chapter eight. I'm moving very quickly through this, three, eight, three. And he put forth the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my head. And this is a vision that he's having now. And the spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem. He brought him clear across, uh, that area where he had been scattered or taken. This is, uh, I'm going to go back to this map that I showed you a while ago. This is where he is over here. He's along this Euphrates river along in here. And, uh, the Lord picks him up in a vision and brings him over here to Jerusalem in the vision. So Dan, so he's back over in the vision. You won't need this. So while he's there, the Lord talks to him. Verse three, and he put forth his form of the spirit lifted and brought me in a vision of Jerusalem. I'm going to verse four. This is eight, four of Ezekiel and behold, the glory of God of Israel was there according to the vision that I saw in the plain. what he saw over there, the presence of God, he now, in the vision in Jerusalem, saw it in Jerusalem. Well, that's normal. That's what I should see. Chapter 9, verse 3. Now the cherubim stood on the right side of the house when the men went in, and the cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub, that stood over the threshold of the house. Threshold is the doorway. And the house was filled with the cloud and with the court was full of the brightness of the the Lord's glory. That now it was in the inner court. Now the presence of God moves from the inner court to a doorway of that inner court. I'm moving on very quickly to verse 15. And the cherubims were lifted up. This is the living creatures that I saw by the river of Chebar. In other words, what I'm seeing here. In Jerusalem, in this vision, is the same thing I saw over there in Babylon. Now, verse 18 here of chapter 10, 10, 18, Then the glory of the Lord departed from off the threshold of the house. And then it goes on to say how that it went on and stood in the door of the east gate. Now, verse 20, I'm going to that very quickly. This is the living creature that I saw under the God of Israel of the river of Chebar. And I knew that they were the cherubim's. Now, go on to chapter 11, verse 1. Moreover, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me in unto the east gate of the Lord's house, which looketh eastward. In other words, what I'm trying to show you here, and I'm going to give you a, a sort of a, a map here. Let me see if I can find this. I'm going to bring you on the east side here of Jerusalem don't have a map here, or a view, so I don't think. Okay. I'm going to bring you on the east side, and uh, I'm going to bring you through that gate. I won't show you nothing about because I've got some other things here to show you in a, f- in a few moments. Oh, I'm out of time. Wow. Folks, I have got some powerful stuff to give you here. I want to show you why the eastern gate is shut off. I'm going to give you scripture for it. You see that gate? That's the eastern gate. Can you see it? That's the Dome of the Rock. That's, that's where the temple used to sit. This is Jerusalem. That's the eastern gate and it's shut off. And I'm going to show you that there's a church that the four uh, disciples of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, are on the front of a church Pointing over to that east gate, waiting for the Lord to come back. They've got it in statue form. They know Jesus is going to come back through that gate. I'm going to talk to you about it. Because whenever the Lord went through that eastern gate and went out of it, I'm going to show you in Ezekiel where the Lord said he's going to come back through that eastern gate. That's why whenever Jesus and those disciples went out of Jerusalem after his his resurrection and they were out on the Mount of Olives, they went up. Here's another picture. That's an Eastern Gate. That's some of us all out there. Some of you may recognize Jimmy, Jimmy Chapman right here. That's your pastor right here, just a, a head above him, me right there. And Sister Myers right here, Dr. Myers. Anyhow, that's that Eastern Gate. That's that, and the Eastern Gate is over here to the one side. I'm only showing you that so that you understand here that it is in prophecies. I mean, it is in concrete. And it's going to open. And the Lord said, I'm going to go back through that Eastern gate, and I'm going to talk to you about it next week. I've got some stuff to show you, praise the Lord. And I want you to understand here, folks, don't ever give up on God. This thing is going to come to pass. God is going to fulfill what he's going to say, but he has given us a season of revival, God wants us to be revival minded. He wants us to reach the world. He wants us to keep on working for him. But one of these days, praise the Lord, everything that you see there is going to be fulfilled. And I've got so much yet to give you. Praise the Lord. Let's stand together. Thank God. Let's praise his name. God love you here this morning. Amen.